Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at trailestravel.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. Well, howdy, listeners. By the time you hear this, it'll be evening, but it's currently afternoon in early July. We are riding along the North Fork of the Sun River in the Bob Marshall in Montana. The horses just crossed the North Fork of the Sun River, and each of us is riding with our fly rod. It's a nice hot day. We've got lunch in the saddle bags. In front of me is Ariane. Who are you riding today, Ariane? Sandy. Ariane's riding Sandy. Beautiful chestnut. I'm riding Clint. He's a bay. Nice bay horse. And then behind me is Clayton. Who are you riding, Clayton? Salty. Uh, yeah. Salty. And then who's behind you? Who's that mule? General. Salty and General. Thank you very much, General, for carrying all of our stuff. Appreciate it. Well, Clayton, he, you're originally from Kansas. And Clayton is a cowboy and wrangler here at the KBRL Ranch. And that's where we have been spending the past couple days riding and fly fishing and just enjoying ourselves. So Clayton, my first question for you is where did you grow up and how was adventure a part of your childhood? All right. I grew up in a town that's actually quadrupled in size since I left, a town called Olathe, Kansas. Well, adventure pretty much been in the family. They say I get it from my grandma, the traveling aspect. I spent the first four years of my life in Olathe, Kansas, and then we moved to Colorado, Colorado Springs to be exact, and that's where I got my first taste of the mountains. And so we were at the base of Pikes Peak. It's about a 14,000 foot mountain up there, and you know, right around there's Garden of the Gods, just beautiful country. And so that's where I actually learned how to ride my first bicycle on the side of that mountain and started hiking and just fell in love with the mountains ever since, you know, and then spent five years in Colorado Springs and then uh, moved back to Kansas. That's where all my family is from and that's where they are now. I ended up moving back in about fifth grade and finished up high school there and went on to college at K-State and majored in a program called Wildlife Outdoor Enterprise Management and that allowed me to do what I'm doing now and to see some amazing places. It required me to minor in business and hospitality, so, you know, pretty well-rounded and kind of geared for operating my own uh, hunting and fishing lodge. At least that's what I'd like to do later in life, once I raise the capital, of course. So after college and kind of during, I got some internships, and it's led me here down this uh, beautiful path we call life. Where is that? Tell us about where you are right now. So we are in the northwest corner of Montana, pretty darn close. I'd say 200 miles from the Canada border in the Bob Marshall Wilderness. It's about a million and a half acres of wilderness. And so when you hear, you know, National Forest and National Wilderness, the difference is wilderness is much more pristine. You can't use anything motorized. So no dirt bikes, no ATVs, and even no chainsaws. So back in here, when we clear trail every spring, after a hard winter, of course, you're going to have some blowdown, which is, you know, trees falling across the trail. And Forest Service will help us out with that a bunch. They do a great job. But uh, some of our hunting trails we use and, and some of our riding trails in the summer, we got to clear our own. It's all done with a handsaw, axe, and crosscut. And, man, it makes you 
really appreciate the tools we have today. Yeah, so anyway, we're riding up the North Fork of the Sun. Man, it's beautiful country. It's just in the bob. That's what we like to call it, the bob. Up here is a huge array. I'm not sure exactly the number, but of uh, mammals up here. I mean, we have everything from mountain lions, grizzly bears, black bears, a mink, skunk, raccoons, you know, uh, beavers, just incredible amount of wildlife to see and of course beautiful birds and eagles bald and golden and elk and wolf of course but it's been an amazing adventure being up here and getting to live up here so i'm up here from may through november uh, we pull out the day before thanksgiving after that the snow starts piling in gets too deep and you really can't get a horse back here and so it, we're seven miles off any road everything is packed in when the reservoir's up we're on the gibson reservoir and i mean it's real nice in the summertime it's a 15 minute boat ride up here beautiful lake there's some lake trout in there but the best fish is right around the ranch on the north fork where we are now and and the south fork so yeah we're tucked back in here and this property was deeded to this old boy who uh, fought for the union in the civil war back east so he picked this spot on a map he must have had some insider information or something but man it's a uh, incredible place so we have our own hot spring on the property that powers the ranch so we're 100 you know green energy supplemented by solar and so you know we highly uh recommend not using a hair dryer or anything of that nature um that draws a lot of power because it'll uh short out the system then we got to reboot it and everything so you know it's comfortable living but uh very basic you know i wouldn't have it any other way and then this ranch has been passed down from a couple different families after valentine sold it to the allens and then the clicks and the clicks owned it for over 50 years incredible family to to keep this thing going and, and make it a dude ranch before it was just private ranch up here in montana on a incredible piece of property but they really opened it up and started sharing it with people i'm so fortunate that they did and that i can work up here so in the summertime it's all uh whatever y'all want to do come up and and hike or ride we got some great stock about 50 head combined horses and mules we're riding right now we got let's see one two three four five six seven of us on horseback jody's in the lead on old blue bell a blue roan good looking horse and then taking up the caboose is general and uh he is got some panniards on him and uh, hauling all the waders and boots and, and fishing gear for when we uh, hop off and probably two or three miles at a good fishing spot you know a couple deep holes up here and then fish our way back summer activities fishing is, is definitely the main attraction i mean if you're serious about it you can catch 40 to 50 trout a day mainly 10 to 14 inches you know little guys but if you stick to a big hole and there's nothing else biting that's a good sign that there's a you know a hog of a fish in there 20 to 25 inches um, cutthroat or rainbow is what we have up here and so if you throw a, a, a dry fly in there and nothing's biting, not even, you know, no little guys, you don't see anything around, then uh, odds are there's a, there's a monster waiting in there. And so just, you know, patient, you know, be patient, switch up your flies, maybe add a nymph, a little drop on there, see if he likes that. But, man, it's a blast. And especially uh, one of my favorite parts about it is taking people out who have never caught anything on a fly rod or a dry fly, you know, because you can feel it so much more on a fly rod. Just the rod is so much lighter. You can feel that fish fight, and uh, there's nothing like a trout jumping out of water. And these are streams are not stocked, so everything is wild, natural. And the fishing game do a good job of keeping the numbers in. You know, 
I try to tell my guests that if they do want to keep some, you know, don't go past the limit, of course, but keep the small guys and let the let the big guys breed. You know, get your picture, of course, and real quick, and let them back in the in the river. But I'm not much of a trout eater myself. I prefer salmon, halibut, but I guess that's just because I was spoiled when I worked in Alaska. And I've worked in some amazingly beautiful places, and actually very diverse too. So I worked in, of course, Kansas, guiding for whitetail and pheasant and turkey, and then South Texas after that, and then Alaska. But this is up here in Montana is by far my favorite country. It's just the mountains are accessible, unlike in Alaska. You know, you really got to be serious if you're going to stay up there. You got 14 to 16,000 foot peaks, but around here it doesn't get above 10,000, 10,500 is about the max in the bob. So you can really scale these easy and just wildlife everywhere you look. I mean, mule deer, whitetail deer in the thousands around here. You can't go a day without spooking one of them. Or bighorn sheep are also very prevalent. We're about to cross a little tributary called Wolf Pup, so I'll hold up. Alright, the general did a good job, not losing any of the, of the gear. So these rivers, this is actually the first time I crossed Wolf Pup this year, they uh, really swell up because all the snow melts, and the springs, it's really spring fed, so they run all year round. But April, May, and June, they're really ripping. You know, the fishing's not too good. You really need to throw some lead on your line if you're going to try to fish in those months to get down there. But right now it's perfect. July and August is definitely the best months for fishing. Beautiful day. Another beautiful day on the North Fork. So to my right, be to the east, is big open pasture, not pasture, parks we call them up here. Not a lot of trees, but... Anyway, we're headed up to uh, Elk Hill, at least towards it. Okay, so I'll switch to the, the fall months up here. We offer elk hunts and bighorn sheep if you draw the tag, pretty rare. So we're hunting the Sun River elk herd, and it's the second largest migrating elk herd in the U.S. behind Yellowstone. The count this year was around 3,200, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> so these elk move through right around the ranch every year, so it's, it's prime hunting, and uh, these guys are so cool to watch one of my favorite mornings i'll never forget we're actually coming up on it right now riding next to the spot where there were elk on both sides of me so we we ride out at dark to get to our hunting spot in the morning and we'll get up and wrangle about uh, 2 45 in the morning to you know get the stock in because we can't afford to feed 50 head hay every evening so we push them out to different mountain sides and we have forest service leases that are about two week long and then we switch so we, they don't get grazed down too much and keep the grass healthy for the, the rest of the wildlife around. So after you wrangle, uh, which is a, a whole different story, especially at night, after you wrangle, get the stock in, we saddle up before breakfast. Breakfast is around 5 in the morning. And then we get all the hunters on their horse, make sure they got uh, all their gear, their hunting license, everything's good to go, and then we ride out. And so since we are 7 miles off the nearest road, it is not too long of a ride we got a mule coming up on us a loose mule trying to follow us here hey big girl oh big girl Let's see if she peels off just past a camp here looks like she's gonna follow us for a while <laughs> okay she's thinking twice you're okay all right she's gonna stick behind with her rest of her posse had a girl all right i'm uh, my name is clayton alexander 
and today we are uh, riding up the trail less traveled on the North Fork of the Sun River in the Bob Marshall Wilderness. So up here is, I mean, very wild, almost as, as wild as you can get. Just open, they call it Big Sky for a reason, but mountains, you know, jostling for position everywhere you look. I mean, right now we're in a valley, but it's just incredible. The, uh, the landscape around here is so beautiful. You got rivers everywhere, you know, always access to water, wildlife, everywhere you look. Some of the most beautiful country I've ever seen. You know, I'm 26 years old and been very blessed to see some amazing country. Uh, Alaska, Texas, Kansas, but this is by far, it takes the cake. All right, y'all, if you're just joining us right now, I'm riding a horse named Clint. He's being a little bit feisty today. He loves to eat along the way. We are right next to the edge of the North Fork of the Sun River in the Bob Marshall Wilderness on horseback. And it's a pleasure to be riding here today. We're all riding with our fly rods in tow. Got our lunch in the saddle bags. And we are talking to Clayton. And Clayton, I'm curious about why you think it's important for people who spend a lot of time in the city to come out and spend time in the wilderness. Also, I want you to tell us later about the spirit of a horse for you. Why you spend time on horseback. All right. Good question, Mandela. So why I think it's important for folks who don't get too much time outside of the asphalt and concrete, you know, daily routine is we were born, you know, way back a thousand years ago in nature. And this is where we came from. I really believe that you need to escape every once in a while. Depends. It doesn't have to be way out in the wilderness, but just outside the city limits or maybe a, a park is good. But relax, you know, and kick back and kind of just listen take it all in and and just let your mind wander and know that this is where you're meant to be outside and breeze you know blowing across your face and maybe the sun setting or rising or what have you but I really believe that it is important to get out and and spend time and maybe alone or with you know whoever you're with and your companion or your kids but definitely get your kids outside man I was very fortunate for my folks uh take us camping when I grew up but it instills in you sort of a peace, tranquility when you're out here, especially on horseback. Leading to the second question there, I don't know, I feel not safer, but more at home when I'm on the back of a horse. These guys were brought to us by the Spanish way back in the day, and then Native Americans really took to it. And man, reading some history books, they could really ride. You know, they didn't have all this fancy uh, leather gear, you know, no saddles or nothing. But uh, I'd like to get that good someday, but I'm in the stirrups right now sitting in leather and these guys each of them have a personality of their own and it's funny to watch uh, we call it corral drama and uh <laughs> the mules i mean you know i love horses especially wrangling on them they're so fast and they can cut and swift and beautiful creature but these mules they really serve a lot more credit these guys are work horses they're stronger they are uh, smarter than horses and just more sure-footed we call it a uh, bomb proof if you get a good mule, you know, a good old mule that's been up and down the trails, got thousands of miles behind him, he can really haul your your load for you, whatever you... We pack in a lot of, of course, uh, luggage, and then uh, also uh, meat. Throw the elk on the, on the side of the mule, but these animals are uh, definitely meant to be out here, and you can tell they love it when we wrangle them out. There's a little pep in their step. You're just like, okay, not just because they're going to go eat, but I can go run, you know, I'm, I'm free. It's tough seeing seeing animals you know pinned up in a cage and not let to run i feel like we as humans are animals and we need to run as well i mean we need open spaces and, and fresh air and i think it's, it's good for the soul you know it, it nurtures your soul but 
man, I've been very blessed and fortunate to have the training that I have with Adam Wallace and his family and my aunt and uncle back home in a little town called Paola, Kansas. That's where I really learned how to ride a horse and be around horses, mainly around cattle when I was younger, but when I was old enough to hop in the saddle and to really throw a saddle on myself, I started riding and uh, I guess you call it cowboy culture, but something about being on a horse. You know, you feel free. I feel like this is where I'm meant to be and what I'm meant to be doing. And, you know, you can get some um, young stuff and that's one of my favorite parts about it is riding them out and getting them uh, comfortable with having a, someone on their back for a mule, for instance, someone pulling them with a lead rope. With those young ones, it's something else. You know, you, they got a lot of fire in their eyes and a lot of fight full of vinegar. And uh, it can get a little scary at times, but, you know, you just got to hold on. Sometimes, I hate to admit it, you know, I grab onto that horn when they start bucking. But <laughs> other than that, it's really a rush. I mean, these animals have been part of America since really the founding. Even before the states, you know, the Native Americans used them. And, man, that would have been a real treat to see those guys ride and take down the bison that were once you know just like stars in the sky everywhere would really love to see that and that's another thing i kind of imagine you know when i'm driving even through my hometown of olathe kansas what the landscape would have looked like without human interaction a barren landscape full of wildlife and full of wonder and that's really what it, the bob marshall is it hasn't been touched besides um, a few trails cut out by stock horses and mules and a couple of blazes on the trees other than that, man, it is really untouched country out here, and just, I can't, can't say enough. If y'all never been out to the Bob, definitely make a trip. You won't be disappointed. Clayton and I are currently on horseback in the Bob Marsh Wilderness, and Clayton, it's now time for a song. Can you tell us about a song that reminds you of riding out here in the Bob Marshall? So, the first song that really comes to mind would be that old a John Denver tune, Country Roads Take Me Home, because depending on where you're at, these roads, you know, pavement, dirt, gravel, asphalt, really reminds me of, of home. You know, this is where I'm supposed to be, and, and these, these dirt trails, I find myself whistling that quite a bit. The Trail Less Traveled podcast is sponsored by Karuna Clothing. Sewn with love and laughter, Karuna Clothing is a handcrafted from natural fabrics which soften as they age. They design clothing lines to fit the moods of places which have inspired them. Designed simply and using the best fabrics, Karuna Clothing creates their own unique colours. Strong, well-sewn, small batch, unique product lines which are simply beautiful. Handmade in Missoula, Montana, all of Karuna Clothing is sewn and dyed in the US and all workers are paid good living wages. www.karunaclothing.com That's K-A-R-U-N-A Clothing.com. Well, we're back on the trail less traveled, and we're sitting here on the edge of the North Fork of the Sun River in the Bob Marshall Wilderness. I just cracked open a Bitterroot IPA from the Bitterroot Brewing Company. This is a lovely IPA, and it's kind of funny because the Bitterroot Brewing Company is one of the original sponsors of the Trail Less Traveled radio series. So, big shout out to the Bitterroot Brewing Company. I am drinking your Bitterroot IPA on the edge of the Sun River in the Bob Marshall. It's an ice-cold beer. Just came off the back of a mule named General, who was kind enough to pack it all the way back up here where we could do some fly fishing. It's lunchtime, and every now and then I hear a loud noise, and I think, oh yeah, we're in grizzly country. There definitely could be a grizzly walking out of the trees at any moment. 
But, Clayton, let's get back to you and your stories. We just got off horseback. You were telling us about where you grew up and how adventure was part of your childhood. But you spent a lot of time up in Alaska and in Texas. And you have some wildlife stories. But let's go back to you, your birth. You were saying that you haven't talked about how you were actually born blind. Yeah, so I was born June 2nd, 1992 in Olathe, Kansas. And the doctor first said to my folks, your son, will uh, he'll never see just because you couldn't see anything in my eyes. It was straight, no pupil, no iris, all blue, cloudy blue. So that, you know, was pretty devastating news. And But they took me to a specialist in Kansas City. He uh, performed the surgery called a trabeculectomy. And that's basically sucking all the pressures out from behind your eye because everyone has pressures behind their eye. About the average is, I want to say like 6 to 10, and mine were in the 40s. And even to this day, I got to take um, eye drops. But so he performed that trabeculectomy, and I could see. Miracle baby or what have you. But, uh, and, you know, these 26 years on Earth has been trying to see as much as possible because, you know, glaucoma, they don't have a cure for it yet. Uh, they call it silent killer sight. So ever since, you know, I was a little baby, everything I can remember, I've been taking eye drops 2 in the morning and 3 at night. I uh, had a patch on both my eyes. You know, we'd rotate to try to strengthen one, strengthen the other. You know, keep on the eye drops. I've had four surgeries since I was born, and they have put little tubes behind my eyes. And so make the liquid build up the pressure, flow easier, and that's what the eye drops do as well. They supplement that, the little stints behind my eye. And the doctor said, you know, I have a great specialist. I go to about three times a year, more if I've had a recent surgery. But he's like, by the time I'm, you know, late 50s, early 60s, I'll be, that's what glaucoma will do. The perifs, uh, it'll close in on you. And he said, by the time you're 50 or 60, you'll uh, be completely blind. And, and so that really what drives my adventure. You know, I really need to see all this before before I go blind. But there's always silver lining and everything. And so when I do go blind, they say, you know, your other senses heighten, right? So I'll have, you know, some awesome hearing and smell. So that'd be cool. But, but yeah, right now I'm just trying to see as much as possible. And I spent the last four years here in Montana in the Bob. And I don't really want to leave but there's still so much more to see but maybe i guess i can do that in the off season december through april yeah so that's uh that's my blindness and but you know who knows there might be a a bionic eye coming out there's you know with advances in, in medicine and i think it'd be sweet you know you have a little dial on the side of your head and you can switch it to night vision or over to thermal vision <laughs> but no i think that'd be pretty cool we'll, we'll see what happens but you know if i lose my sight i lose it you know i've been blessed to see for as long as i have if you're just joining us, that's the voice of Clayton Alexander, and he's a cowboy and wrangler up here at the K-Bar-L Ranch in the Bob Marshall. And we're on a ride today along the North Fork of the Sun River, which is where we're sitting in the trees, in the long grass, eating lunch. And Clayton, it's pretty amazing, that story. Uh, I just, I'm curious about what you want to see in the world. You just said your doctor said you'll have until you're 50, yeah. and you're maybe 20, 26, 26 now. Yeah, so about 25 more. What else do you want to see out there? What do you want to do and go see? All right. Man, I've never been overseas. Drove through Canada on my uh, way back from working in Alaska. We were on the Gulf and drove through there on the Alcan, Alaska Canadian Highway, and that was gorgeous. But I like to see some rainforests and tropical places. Never really, I've been to Florida, you know, Everglades, very pretty down there. But yeah, maybe volcanoes or, uh, or just like islands out in the middle of nowhere. But I like to see wild places remain wild. And uh, that's, you know, getting harder and harder with so many people on this earth, you know. And I truly believe that if we make an effort to do that, 
to preserve these wild places such as the Bob, it's possible. There's definitely a, a way we can do it, even with our growing population. And I'd really like to see just untouched places stay that way. You know, something about these places, you know, brings peace to you and, and relaxing. And always wanted to go to South America. I thought that'd be pretty sweet. Always wanted to do some float trips, you know, through the Grand Canyon, like you got it for. Mm-hmm. Go through the Grand Canyon, but never been through it. I think that'd be a different point of view from way down there. I've been through, you know, New Mexico and, of course, Texas. South Texas is pretty much desert, but every landscape has its own certain beauty, just like Kansas. You know, the rolling rolling plains, everyone's, oh, there's nothing in Kansas, real flat, but you can see the sunset for miles. And around here, the sun sets at about, like, 8, just because it dips down below the mountains. You know, it doesn't get dark till 1030. Out of curiosity, Clinton, will you tell us the difference between a mule and a horse? You know, the mule is a combination of a horse and a donkey. I mean, the donkey is can be a stubborn animal, and that's where these mules get their stubbornness, but mm-hmm. also their, uh, you know, their strength and their willingness to work. I mean, they never quit. They won't quit on you like a, a horse might, per se. You know, there's some, there's some awesome horses out there, and there's some awesome mules, and there's some bad mules, bad horses. It's all about treatment and really the bloodline and how they've been raised, and it's, it's a shame that mules are sterile. They cannot reproduce, so, you know, you get a really good mule. It's, it's a shame that you can't have their offspring, but, you know, you can still breed their sires and everything and keep that bloodline going, but we've been fortunate enough to have some great stock. We usually have in the corral right now is mainly uh, Pertron crosses and Belgian crosses, you know, big, stocky, strong mules because we're using them August through November. And we'll be packing everything on them from, you know, cases of beer to hindquarters of elk. The head on top of that. So they need to be strong enough, strong enough to make it out here. And some just aren't built for it. But back to the Pertron and Belgian crossing, you want the mare to always be the horse. And the sire, you know, the dad to be uh, the donkey. They've figured that out a while back. And if you do it the opposite way, you can just have some attitude problems you know big time and maybe you know sometimes they don't throw when i say throw like uh, give birth as well there's complications in the birth and everything pertron and the belgian those are the horses the breeds of the horses and they're work horses and pertrons came from france and they were uh, big uh, war horses you know world war one uh, they pulled the cannons and everything and, and you know even prior to that you know chariots back in the day just very strong awesome creatures if you're just joining us we are on the trail less traveled that is located today Literally, on horseback, we rode here. We're sitting on the edge of the North Fork of the Sun River in the Bob Marsha Wilderness. A couple hours ride from the K-Bar L Ranch. I'm talking with Clayton Alexander. Let's talk about wildlife. Right now, we're in the Bob Marshall. And out of curiosity, people listening don't see what you see when you look around. So, can you do your best to paint the picture of what the Bob looks like right now on the edge of the North Fork of the Sun River on the trail less traveled? The North Fork right now is just this beautiful, meandering river with valleys on both sides, mainly the whole way, from its headwaters down to where it dumps into the conjunction of the South Fork. So right now, we are right beside it, and we can hear it, man, beautiful, just really slow-moving waters. As the summer progresses, it'll drop a little bit more, and you don't even need waders on most of it. You can walk on out, and it'll be uh, less than waist-high, and throw your fly out there and get some cutthroat and rainbows. But just around this right now, we're in a, a big, long valley. We're below Cabin Creek, to the south of Cabin Creek, to the north of Sun Butte. So really in between here is just this huge, beautiful open valley. And um, they used to log it back in the day. And so that's what really created these parks. And uh, floated the, uh, I think it was like 250,000 
logs down the North Fork River. So had a job, a purpose back in the day, and other than recreation. But right now, you know, there's no more logging, and we are surrounded by different peaks. And the highest, most prominent to our northeast is arsenic. Arsenic got a story, I believe. I mean, there's a couple different stories, but this old trapper was having a problem with a, a bear getting into his traps, a big old grizz, and he poisoned one of his fox or a deer with arsenic. And that was, you know, back in the day, I'm sure, early 1800s. But, no, the arsenic is beautiful. I mean, when you picture a mountain, like this, this picturesque peak is arsenic, very pointed, three-sided, and uh, it's just under 9,000 feet. And I haven't climbed it yet, but Adam and some of the kids have, and, man, I'd like to get up there one day. And then that would be to our northeast. To our west is, let's see, that Sheep Mountain, and Sheep Mountain is a sheer cliff. This is north of Sheep Mountain, Slate Goat. Surrounded by mountains, patches of trees, really. Every, that's where we're at right now in the shade, uh, enjoying lunch. And But the river is accessible almost the whole way. You know, it's no really uh, steep banks except on the east side. So on the west side of the North Fork is really just perfect you know you tie up your horses spray them down with flies right now the flies are getting bad spray them down with fly spray and get your rod out and go catch some fish or read a book man it's perfect country for riding and, and fishing and just very flat at least where we're at right now but if you go on either side of us it's pretty steep inclines nothing too tough nothing over 10,000 feet so these mountains are very accessible and, and just teeming with wildlife I try to describe it as best as possible is that all right Right on. You are on the trail as traveled. That's the voice of Clayton Alexander. He's a wrangler and cowboy based at the K-Bar-L Ranch in the Bob Marshall Wilderness, which is where we're sitting right now. We're sitting on the edge of the North Fork of the Sun River. Clayton, you just described what this feeling, the spot looks like to the listeners. Is there a song that comes to mind that you might turn on if you had a little wind-up radio or a vinyl record player here with the mules and the horses? Any song come to mind? Chris Ledoux. And if y'all heard of Chris Ledoux, you know his love for uh, the West. And the song I would choose would be Western Skies. And it's talking about how um, you know, everyone's like, tell him to come back to Tennessee. And, you know, you love it back here, but he just can't give up these mountains. And uh, I definitely can see why. Man, Chris, was uh, he's a legend, you know, a cowboy rodeo and a great songwriter and, uh, and performer. Man, I wish I could have seen him. So you guys are on the trail less traveled. My name is Clayton Alexander. Today the uh, trail leads us right beside the waters of the North Fork of the Sun River in the Bob Marshall Wilderness of Montana. Awesome. We are sitting with Clayton here in the long grass. How many miles we ride today? Right around five, north of the ranch. I was on Clint, and Clayton was on Salty, who was pulling General. General's a big mule that carried all of our beer and our lunch. Thank you very much, General, for that. And our fly rods. We were all carrying our fly rods. And after I record this, I'm going to go and try to see if I can catch something on the fly. <laughs> Clayton, I was wondering if you could share with us some of your favorite tales from the traveling you have done in Texas and in Alaska. All right, so we'll start off with Texas. That was the first job that I took down there, and it was a little town south of San Antonio called Three Rivers. And so Texas is a, in a whole different ball game with wildlife. They have a lot of high fence, and so what that means is you know have a couple thousand acres, big plots of land, but all surrounded by high fence. You know there can be anything from giraffes in there to kudus to black buck and and everything. But mainly I was working with whitetail, 
and one of the most adrenaline pumping parts of it was we worked these whitetails from their pens back into these back rooms and in the pens you know these thousand acre plots we had to do it at night so the deer one wouldn't get overheated and two wouldn't uh, see us as well and, and freak out and so was, you know crawling through this bush and if you've ever been to south texas you know you're covered in cactus and mesquite trees and I mean, I swear everything wants to poke you or stick you down there. I mean, black widow spiders had to shake out your boots every morning. But a good thing they're slow. You know, they're nice, big, slow spiders, unlike the brown recluse that are quick. Crawling through thorns and around the cactus, and I think it was around 1 in the morning, trying to find these fawns. We were trying to catch these little baby fawns and make sure, you know, they were healthy and everything, look them over. And pitch dark, some stars in the sky, but it's kind of cloudy. So I can't see much, and we're not supposed to really use our headlamps unless really necessary. And if so, it's got to be on red. The deer can't see that as well. But so I'm crawling along through some thick stuff. I got this weird feeling, you know, being watched. I'm like, not from above or anything, just, you know, from right around real close. And uh, I'm like, you know, I just take a look around and I stop moving. And, I mean, not more than 18 inches from my face is this big. And I don't know how long he was. He was coiled up but this big Dimeback rattlesnake. And man, at the moment I just froze. Oh man, he's gonna get me. He's right here, you know, he's, he's not rattling, but he's just, he's all coiled up and, and looking at me. And then so I'm, I slowly ease back, and that was definitely a white knuckle moment. I'll never forget those, I mean, those snakes are uh, something to be uh, respected, definitely. And uh, okay, so that was that's South Texas, and I was down there for about um, eight months, and that was a cool gig, but man, too hot, you know, just too hot for me. I was, had to find something else. That was actually part of an internship I had to accomplish to graduate from K-State. After that, I uh, graduated and looking for another job and found this gig in Alaska. So we were on the Gulf side of Alaska, um, 100 miles east of a town called Cordova. And so 100 miles from any road, even more remote than we're at here. But up there, there's no horses or mules where I was at, at least. It was all ATV and, and everything, which was, you know, which was nice. But I knew from the start that I wasn't going to settle down here just because I love working with stock. So what I did up there in Cordova was we'd be on the river a lot. The same in fishing in the summer, so June, July, August, just all fly fishing for big old coho salmon, silver salmon. Man, they're delicious. You know, we eat them right there on the bank. The Siu River is what it's called, T-S-I-U, one of the best rivers for silver salmon. And the bears know it too. So up there, it's uh, the brown bear, not the grizz. And they get a lot bigger because their diet consists mainly of salmon, straight protein. But they're not as aggressive, which was nice because, you know, some mornings there'd be six or seven big browns in the river, you know, not more than 100 yards off. And they're just fishing, you know, just to get their morning breakfast where, you know, just like we are, we're fishing. But this one morning I had this group of French Canadians, great people, man. They're a lot of fun. They had a little coaster on their waders for their wine bottles. (laughs) (laughs) There's something else. So these two young brown bears, and we think they're brothers, you know, always messing around and really fun to watch. But this morning, they weren't having any luck catching any silvers, and my clients were. They were fishing with these big old streamers and woolly buggers and, you know, big hooks if you're fishing for those couple-pound salmon. But anyway, so I had this one French-Canadian. She had this fish on, and, you know, these bears, these two brown bears, uh, brothers are getting closer and closer because they're watching, and they see the fish flopping around. And so I'm right behind my fishermen trying to get off the hook as soon as possible because we already caught our limit now they're just fishing for fun <laughs> this young one and he was a little more blonde than the other because we could distinguish him apart this young one he just locks on to that gal with the fish on and i'm you know moving up from 
another fisherman who I just took a salmon off their line and I see this bear and he's just I mean he's not running he's not walking either kind of a gentle lope and all of a sudden he you know breaks into a run so right now he's he was 100 yards now he's cutting the distance he's 50 40 and so all the uh all the French Canadians you know, they bring out their whistles and start whistling you know which you should do make a lot of noise but these bears they don't you know, they don't mind they've been around humans long enough just being next to them fishing with them especially these young ones they didn't know much and Man, that was the only time I ever had to use my bear spray. He was coming, you know, so I cut the line real quick, and he passed the fish up. So I don't know what set him off, but he was he was coming for her. And, you know, big old cloud, if you ever sprayed bear spray before, it's a big old cloud. It's not a stream. It's nice. You know, it definitely works better than a gun. Every bear we uh, skinned up there during bear season, you know, I also guided for brown bear and moose. Every bear we skinned up there had buckshot in every arm and leg, you know, his rear and, and front legs just because the commercial fishermen would pepper them when they got too close to their nets and uh man it was crazy how tough these animals really are because they you know they, they heal right over but uh, they would spank them with that buckshot awesome if you just tuned in you're listening to the trail less traveled the trail 1033's locally harvested adventure radio series today we're locally harvesting the show in the bob marshall wilderness sitting on the edge of the north fork of the sun river clayton you're talking about working as a guide up in alaska you're now working as a wrangler and guide and horseman cowboy down here at the K-Bar-L Ranch in the Bob Marshall. You're talking about how durable and tough these grizzly bears are. You said buckshot. You said when you skin these bears, you see yeah. buckshot. So can you explain to us what buckshot is? Buckshot, you know, out of a shotgun. It's going to be a lot of thicker and just bigger BB size than your normal birdshot. And when I say birdshot, it's like what you use for hunting ducks, pheasant, you know, quail. Just a lot smaller and uh, you want to... A bigger pattern when you're shooting birds so this buckshot is used it's more of a heavy hitter and um so these bears you know skinning them out and they're about the size of uh you know double lot buckshot it's about the size of your pinky nail pretty decent size or, or the end of your pinky but so there's about six or seven babies per shell in every round and so those commercial fishermen would spray the bear you know from 50 60 yards away with that buckshot and it wouldn't kill them you know it hurt them enough to for they'd run off it's insane how tough these creatures are that they'll heal right up like when i was you know you're skinning them out and you cut into a little bb and you got to go sharpen your knife but uh they're tough animals and just so you know majestic i'd say you explained that you use bear spray and you would recommend bear spray definitely recommend bear spray and you know it's been tried and tested lots of times just from hikers runners hunters you know everywhere in the world and i'd recommend that just because the simple fact that you know, he's coming at you, and you gun, you know, you're going to be nervous. It's a high-stress situation, of course, you know, this big animal coming at you. And so a gun might be not the best, in my opinion, because, you know, you could be a little shaky and uh, and miss, or the gun could jam. These bear spray bottles are, you know, aerosol, or they are very trusty. And the only downfall is, you know, if there's a strong wind in your face, that's not a good deal. And in that circumstance, I'd recommend uh, finding a good tall tree and, making your way up as fast as possible yeah other than that i definitely recommend bear spray over guns and also the fact that if you kill a grizz or a brown bear or anything and it's charging you without and you're not hunting it you know legally with a tag it's going to be a big deal you know you gotta let your game warden know and local fishing game and they're going to come make sure that you're not just out there poaching so definitely bear spray all the way awesome clayton you're on the trail less traveled clayton alexander talking about bear spray and how he advises to use it over buckshot we're sitting here in the tall grass on the edge of the North Fork of the Sun River. The horses I can see 
are also chilling out in the shade and General, the mule who packed up the lunch that we're enjoying, is over there as well. Now I'd like to ask you, we were talking today as we were riding, you said, ah oh, yeah, there was a bear, your horse would let you know. And, yeah. and you said uh, something along the lines of, you don't know what you'd do, you know, <laughs> stay on that rodeo or step off. Sounds like you were going to go for the rodeo. Yeah, I don't know how many times I've played that situation through in my mind, especially with uh, with guests. You know, you got six or seven guests on horseback, and, you know, a lot of them haven't rode, or if they have, it's just been walking. So I'll play that scenario out being up in the bob with the uh, grizzly population increasing, you know, which is great, get them off the uh, endangered list. But so, yeah, your horse will let you know for sure. Like I'm saying, they'll, they'll stomp or stop. You know, your ears will be locked on, and they'll start snorting. And I've witnessed this multiple times in the hunting season when they grizz are a lot more prevalent around here and we're riding at night you know well not at night early in the morning you know four or five in the morning to get to our hunting spots and these animals horses and mules have great sense of smell and night vision as well so they will definitely let you know and the old owner of the kbrl nancy click always had a saying when you're on a horse you know a leg on each side and your mind in the middle and that's you know very true you never uh let yourself be caught off guard on these animals because they are so strong and and they are prey animals you know they got eyes on each either side of their head whereas we are straight you know looking forward and so they are uh, very wary you have to be as well if you want to make it out all right um if anything happens you know but yeah in that bear situation i would uh man i'd probably have to ride it out i think i'd have better luck staying on or at least having the horse get me to a safe distance away where i could hop off other than fight a grizz so <laughs> i just hold on to that saddle horn and you know and and, and get low because you're mainly gonna most likely gonna go through some trees so just hang on and hang low <laughs> epic to think about as we actually sit here in the long grass and the bob marshall catching fish well clayton thank you so much for your time and energy and joining me here today on the trail less traveled yeah no, it's been my pleasure i uh really didn't expect this is my first actual interview so yeah i love it i'm having fun Clayton, I'm wondering how you deal with fear. Man, fear is, uh, you know, everyone has to, has you know, their own fears. And, you know, whether that be spiders or, or, or bears or drowning or what have you. And I don't know, I, I got my own and uh, definitely. And I guess how to deal with it is just, just knowing that what's going to go wrong. You know, what's what's the worst? So the worst of the worst is, is death, obviously, in a lot, a lot of people's mind. I would say that... Uh, when death comes, you know, you never know. It could happen now or 30, 40, 50 years from now. And I'd say that how I handle it is just that, you know, there's eternity after death. I truly believe in, uh, in life after death and, and higher being, you know, God, and he's right here with us. And that's how I handle fear is just knowing that, you know, we're butt specks of dust and we're only here for a short time and to make the most of it. And you can't control, you know, your surroundings. You can control your attitude, and that's about it in life. And I think we be uh, a lot better off if everyone just nicer to people and had a good attitude and yeah not so scared <laughs> life's gonna go on all right Clayton this is kind of a difficult question but I'll try to ask it seems like we don't realize something until it's gone for you you talked in the segment before about how you have glaucoma you were born blind the doctor was able to let you see again yeah. you take medication but your doctor told you he said, you know, you can continue to do the drops and do everything necessary, you know, and not strain your eye or whatever and uh, just be religious with those drops. And he said, but as of now, there's there's nothing we can do to stop that peripheral 
blindness from uh, slowly taking your vision. His estimate is about, you know, late 50s, early 60s is when I will uh, go completely blind. And uh, But, you know, never know. Hopefully something comes out. Yeah, so that's that's what what he said. And so for you, is there a way that you wake up in the morning and look around at the world and when you're riding the horse and taking everything in that you can pass on to someone listening to really live every day? Like it might be the last that you see because, you know, you could get into an accident where you lose your sight or your ability to walk and just like really live in every day to your fullest. Man, that's a, that's a good one. You know, knowing that I will go blind eventually, try to carry myself with, with a sense of you're not going to have a second chance, you know, to live, live out your life the best way possible. You know, you, there's always another chance to do it better the next day, of course, into your life and whenever that may be, you're going to look back and it's like, okay, so did I live the best life I could have? And, uh, you know, every morning you're saying, you know, get up and, you know, you may have, and that's tough, you know, disabilities, you know, mine is my sight, yours are your knees. And, uh, but we have so much other things to be thankful for, you know, I mean, especially where we're at right now, some of the most, you know, beautiful country in the world. And you just gotta, you just gotta grasp onto those things and like, man, it could be a lot worse. You know, I could, it could be a lot worse and anything could happen. You know, I could get bucked off and be paralyzed from the neck down or, or, you know, completely lights out, and you never know, but you just got to live like it's your last hour, honestly, on this on this planet, and, and enjoy everything that it has to offer, the green, you know, the blue sky, and people. I mean, people are are so amazing, and just just be kind to people. That's really uh, all I can say is just be nice and give people the benefit of the doubt, and, you know, if they don't return it, maybe they'll think about it later in the day and be nice later on, you know, you never know. It's just a smile and you don't know what people are going through. There are situations and um, you know, just a simple smile or a wave or a howdy on the trail can really change a person's life or change their day, you know. Go about life with a smile and, and you know, a little skip in your step and, and, and love it and enjoy every second of it because we are uh, not here for a long time and you never know when that time's up. That's the voice of Clayton Alexander. You are on the trail less traveled. We're sitting here in the tall grass on the edge of the North Fork of the Sun River in the heart of the Bob Marshall Wilderness in Montana. As Clayton sits here, I can see that his boots are business on the bottom and party on top. Is that is that right, Clayton? You, tell us about you got some rainbow stitching in the top there? These are my uh, Tony Llamas, and I actually got these in Great Falls last year. And I've seen to wear out a pair about every year. I stick with the uh, leather sole. I like the leather soles on the bottom, um, but a little bit of rubber on the heel. Yeah, they are perfect for riding, slip riding in and out of the saddle. Um, I like the pointed toe. Everyone else at the ranch likes the square toe. They give me trouble for that, but uh, <laughs> I think it fits, you know, in and out of stirrups easier. Last thing you want to do is get hung up as the horse is uh, running off and you're dragging behind. Man, these boots I've seen a lot. Awesome country and some a lot of dance floors. Man, I love to dance. Heck yeah, so definitely will not see me without cowboy boots on, and if you do, I'll be barefoot. <laughs> Clayton, can you share three bits of advice with the listener? Advice number one would be to take nothing for granted. And that goes back with sight and, and everything, just my vision. But take nothing for granted for your health or your friends, your family. You know, they could be, it could all change so quick. So that'd be one, take nothing for granted. Number two is get outside. Man, definitely. It doesn't matter where you're at. You know, if you're in Manhattan, New York, they got, what is that, Central Park there? Yeah, go spend some time in Central Park. I've never been to New York, but um, we got some New Yorkers on the trip with us right now. And, man, they're great people. But, yeah, just get outside and just stop, you know, talking, stop doing anything, just listen. 
you can really come back to yourself, I believe, in nature. That's where we are from, and I believe that's where we're meant to be. So, yeah, definitely try to get outside as much as possible. Good dose of nature will do you good. Advice number three, pass on to others what you've been taught and do it in a, you know, in a patient way. I've been so lucky, so fortunate, and blessed to have worked at the place I've worked and with the people I have, and I couldn't have done it without those people. They've really had my back everywhere, every job, and especially this one. Man, the Wallace family is great. I've learned so much and continue to learn every day, but can't wait to pass my knowledge on, you know, to our new Wrangler up here now, Alec. And uh, it's just, you know, they say when you're teaching someone, you yourself learn it better. And um, I think that's what really drives uh, our nation and in, in this, in this world is people passing on their knowledge and, and really just nurturing them and helping them along their way and, until they get it. And, you know, you're going to have to find out a few things for yourself. Number three would definitely be help other people out and, and pass it on. So, Clayton, you are wearing your fancy boots, business on the bottom, party on the top. <laughs> These are the boots you wear when you're dancing because you love to dance. Yeah. So now it's time for a song. It's time for a song to end the show. Okay. So what's your favorite song to dance to when you're wearing those boots? Oh, man. Let's see. I'd say uh, it's a pretty quick tune. It's uh, by a band out of Oklahoma called Turnpike Troubadours. If you haven't heard of them, definitely give them a listen. And they're great. And the song that I can really tear it up to would be um, 7 and 7. Man, that's a great two-step song. Really gets me out on the dance floor and gets me moving at least. I love it. Namaste Missoula, Mandela here. Your host of The Trail Less Traveled, the Trail 1033's locally harvested adventure series. The Trail Less Traveled is available wherever you gather your podcasts. So check it out on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and the official website is traillesstraveled.net. I'd like to thank my guest for this week, Clayton Alexander. Clayton is a cowboy and wrangler at the K-Bar L Ranch, located where the north and south forks of the Sun River meet in the Bob Marshall Wilderness. Clayton is a beautiful soul who loves to spend time on horseback in the wilderness, and he has guided in Texas, Alaska, and most recently in the Bob Marshall. If you felt inspired and you'd like to check out this place for yourself, the K-Bar L Ranch would love to have you. And you can check out their website at kbarlranch.com. My name is Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, and I'd like to invite you to join me every Sunday night at 6, where I'll be interviewing an adventurer about what they do, how they do it, and how you can get outside and start adventuring in a similar fashion. My adventure tip this week revolves around riding horses in bear country. While recording this interview on horseback in the Bob Marshall this past week, Clayton mentioned many times that if you pay attention to your horse, they'll let you know way before you will ever know that there's a bear in the area. And if you are concerned, it's definitely, definitely advised to carry bear spray in bear country. Well, that's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week, please do something for Mother Earth and get outside. Shred the gnar. Because as you know, the gnar does not shred itself. <laughs>